today we are here and we are at part two of our new series, What Time Is It? Okay, so Pastor Ben, he did an awesome job last week talking to us and, and speaking to us really about the times and the season that we're living in. So what we're talking about today is like, is this the end? Is Jesus coming back? Like, what's going on in our world, okay? So we're going to be getting into that today, and I'm really excited about it. But Pastor Ben kicked us off on this last week, and he did an awesome job. He, he just took some really confusing theology. He made it really simple for us to understand. He broke it down for us, and he gave us a lot of hope. And so I'm going to get to talk to you today about part two of what time is it. Now, I do realize that... This topic, the end, the return of Jesus, can be a scary topic. Um, some, it, it, a lot of people have a lot of fear and anxiety when they think about it. So, you know, I, I'm with you. I understand because growing up, my dad was a pastor, and this was a very scary topic for me growing up. And I'll tell you probably the reason why. My dad was a pastor in North Alabama, and I was about seven years old. And I was in a Sunday school class, and I, I think that my Sunday school teacher probably had good intentions. But she was teaching the seven-year-old class, and that day she was talking to us about the rapture, the return of Jesus. And she looks at the room full of seven-year-olds, and she says, all right, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that you wake up one morning, and you go to your parents' room, and no one's there. No one's to be found, and I'm sitting there scared to death, right? And then she's like, okay, now go to your siblings' room. They're not there. No one's to be found, so you're freaking out, and you're running through your house screaming, mom, dad, where are you? No one to be found. You go outside. They're not working in the yard. They're nowhere to be found, and you realize Jesus has come back and you've been left. And as a seven-year-old, I was sitting there scared to death. You know, I kind of go to Home Alone where he's like, my parents disappeared, you know, except I wasn't excited about it. I was scared to death. And so this actually became like a really unhealthy fear of mine for a long time um, where I would go to bed every night, like terrified that I would wake up and I'd play the scene over in my mind. And I'd, I'd be scared that when I woke up the next morning that I was going to be left, and so I wouldn't be able to sleep and stuff. And I shared a room with my brother at the time, and I always wanted to check on my parents to make sure that they weren't gone and that I had been left. And I would say I would have checked at my brother, but I knew what he was doing, and so I knew he probably wasn't going to be going if Jesus came back. It would have been me and him, you know what I'm saying? And so, but... Thankfully, he is a better man today. But I would, this is so crazy. I would actually go out, I would go to my parents' door and I would like listen through the door to see if I could hear him move. So it was like this weird, unhealthy fear of mine. But can I tell you this morning that God never intended for us to have fear when we think about this topic? Pastor Ben let us know last week that this is a good thing, that thinking about the return of Christ is a good thing. And he gave us a lot of hope last week. And so look, we don't have to be scared as Christians. This is a wonderful and a glorious thing that we need to look forward to. So let's get into our key verse of the day. We're going to be looking at First Chronicles, and it says, the men of Issachar, they understood the times, and they knew what Israel should do. So because they understood the times they were living in, they knew what to do about it, right? So last week, Pastor Ben, he, he helped us understand the times that we're living in. And today, I'm going to talk to you, and we're really going to be answering the question of how do I live in these times? How do we live in these times? What should we do? So we have to face the fact that we are living in these times. Like when we look around in our world, it's crazy. You know, every time you turn around, it's like another bad thing is happening. So we're going to talk this morning about how to live 
in these times. You know, I, there was a guy that was working on the building, and he came by one day, and he asked me, he said, are you, are you one of the pastors here? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I got a question. He said, with everything going on in the world, what do you think about it all? Like, is this the end? What's going on? And I told him, I was like, well, you know, no one really knows when Jesus is going to come back. The Bible says only the Father even knows. So I really don't know. Like, I don't know that this is the end. And, but I say that because I think a lot of people are observing what's going on in our world, and they're seeing all these bad things, and they're just like racking their brain trying to figure out what to do with it all. They're trying to figure out what to do. So we're going to talk about what to do with it all this morning. But before we can really answer the question, how do we live in these times, um, I want us to understand God's timing. So we're going to talk for a little bit about God's timing. In your worship guide, there's three blanks, and I want you to just follow along with me. Feel free to fill in those blanks as we go. But the first thing that we need to understand about the times that we're living in is that God desires everyone to be saved. Like, he wants every person on the face of the earth to be saved. People from every tribe, from every nation, every people group, every race, it is the will of God that none would perish, but that everyone would be saved. Because of his love for us, he wants us to be saved. A very familiar verse, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, his desire for us to be saved is driven from a place of love. He loved the world so much that he decided he was gonna do something about it. So he gave his one and his only son And he sent him to this earth. And can I tell you that Jesus lived a perfect and a blameless life. He did not sin. He was a good man. He talked about the Father and the kingdom. And he did miracles. And he healed the sick. And he helped the poor. And he came to this earth. And he lived a perfect life. And they took him and they persecuted him. And they beat him. And they they mocked him. And they nailed him to a cross and left him to die. But we know that's not the end because three days later, he rose again so that, so that anyone who believes in him, that they would not perish, but that we could have eternal life. It's all driven from a place of love. Come on, somebody. That's the love of God. That's the love of our Father. Come on, let's give God praise because that's the love of our Father. It's driven from a place of love, and he wants us to have eternal life. And I have to say that I'm so thankful that the love of God looked down and that he found me, that I didn't find God, but he found me and that he saved me. And if you're anything like me, he gave me a first and a second and a third and a fourth chance that when I failed him time and time again, he gave me another chance because that's the love of God. That's the love of our father. And that's where we have to start. We have to start with the love of God. And I realize that there are some of you here today, and maybe you say, Caleb, you have no idea what I've done. I don't deserve this love. And I would just say, really, none of us do. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're here today, and you've had some bad things happen in your life, and you just feel dirty, and you feel rotten, and you feel like there's no way that this God could love me. Can I look at you this morning and just tell you that he loves you anyways? That God sees your mistakes and he sees your flaws and your shortcomings and he loves you anyways. Like you can never be disqualified from God's love. The only way you can be disqualified is if you disqualify yourself and you don't receive it. Because God will never stop loving you. He loves you so much and it's his will for everyone to be saved. When I was a youth pastor 
in Alabama, I had a young man in my youth group who had recently gotten saved, and he wanted to meet with me and talk about some things, and we got together. And he let me know that he had been in an unhealthy relationship, and since he had been saved, he had continued to fall into the same sin that he, was falling, that he had been falling in over and over again. And he was like, I'm trying to do better, I'm trying to do better, and I keep messing up. And he was like, I don't see how this God can keep forgiving me. I don't see how he can just forgive me time and time again. And I looked at him, and I said, Because God loves you. And because he wants a relationship with you. He's crazy about you. He loves you. And I want to look at you today and tell you the same thing. That God loves you so much. And he desires for everyone to be saved. So the next thing that we have to understand about God's love is that God, he has a plan to reach the world. He has a plan. So that makes sense. Like if if God loves us so much, and if he's so crazy about us and he wants us to be saved, it makes sense that now he's created a plan to reach the world. We look at Matthew chapter 28. This is the Great Commission. And Jesus said, it says that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I believe throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, he'd make statements like this about his power and about the kingdom. And everybody sitting around listening was always waiting on Jesus to say, now I want y'all, I've got all the power, so y'all just all sit back, relax, chill, and I'm gonna take care of everything. Just grab you, a, you know, a glass of iced tea and just relax. It's all good. I got this, right? But Jesus never said that. You can't read that in the Bible, okay? He continues on and he says, now therefore go. He says, you, go. That's you. That's talking to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to do everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end. So can I tell you that God created a plan to reach the world and that plan is us. That plan is you. And that plan is me. We are God's plan. And, and, you know, that's so crazy. And it really carries a weight to it. Kind of carries a little bit of a weight to it. Because, like, we're God's plan to reach the world. But at the same time, it's such an honor. And it's such a privilege that, that God and his, it, God is sovereign. And he is infinite in wisdom. And, and in his knowledge, when he was creating a plan, the God that makes the best plans in every area, when, when he was creating a plan to reach the world, he created you. And he created me. He created us. And he put together his church so that we could be the hope of the world, so that we together could reach the world. And I want to tell you this morning that the church, we are God's plan A and there is no plan B. Like we're his first choice. We're plan A and there is no plan B. It's up to us to do the job that he has given us. God has commissioned us and he's given us a job to do. Now I want you to know that God cares about you. He cares about every area of your life. He cares about your family and your marriage and your kids and your finances, your purpose, your fulfillment, everything. God cares about it all. But don't ever get this twisted. Don't ever get this confused. Our lives are not all about us. They're not all about us. And and that's easy to lose sight of, especially in America, that our lives are all about us. And God cares about our lives. He wants us to live good lives, but our lives aren't about us. Our lives are about God. They're about his kingdom. And ultimately, they're really about this world that he loves so much. And it's about us doing the job that he has given us and reaching 
reaching this world. And that's one reason why I love the vision at City Hope so much is because when you get here, the first thing we want you to do is to know God. So you can experience that love that I was just talking about a minute ago. You can experience the love of God and know him. And so after that, you can find freedom and get rid of all the hurt and the pain and and settle all your yesterdays. And then the third thing, the next thing is so that you can discover your purpose. And can I tell you this morning that your purpose really is not really all about us. Our purpose isn't about us. It's about the world, which leads us to the last part of our vision, which is so that we can go into the world with our purpose and we can make a difference so that we can do the job that God has given us. God has given us a job to do. And can I just tell you that this is why... This is why we have our first Saturday serve every month. This is why we serve our community, why we cook, we cook burgers and we give them away every month and why we wash cars and we pay people $2 because they let us wash their car and we mow people's lawns and we paint houses and we do everything we can to bless our community is because we realize that this life is not all about us. It's about this world that God loves so, uh, so much. It's about us making a difference. Come on. And so we've got to make a difference. Yeah, come on. So the third thing that you need to know is that God is waiting until the completion of his plan to return. So you might be wondering, like, what all this had to do with the end? What's all this got to do with Jesus coming back? And this is it. God created us, his plan, and God is waiting until the completion of that plan to return. We look in Matthew chapter 24, and it says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And this word nations here, it's not just talking specifically about established countries, but it's also talking about people groups, like every person, every people group, every nation. The gospel will be preached to all nations, and notice after that, then the end will come. And so what we realize is that the gospel will go forth into all nations before Jesus returns. And we talked about this verse a little bit last week, and I wanted to bring it up again because I just wanted to make the point that we talked about some different signs of the end times, and one of the things was that the gospel would go to all all nations. And so all the other signs, they happen with or without us, but this one, the gospel going into all nations, only happens with us. It only happens with the body of Christ, with the church, because we have been given a job to do from God, and that is to take the gospel to all nations. So this one only happens with us. Peter takes it to another level in chapter 3, and he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to perish. There's that love of our God again. He doesn't want anyone to perish But he wants everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then it goes on and says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So this kind of brings us to our big idea, our question of the day. What what kind of people should we be? Like, how should we live in these times? We're in them. How should we live in them? And Peter, he answers it for us, and he says, you, you should live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord. So can I, can I take a moment and just tell you that this is not time for us to, to be Christian on the inside. Like, this isn't time for us to be ashamed of our faith when we go to work and when we go to school and when we go to places. This isn't time for us to just keep our faith on the inside. We're supposed to live outward, bold, holy, and godly lives as we look forward to the day of God. And the last part of it says, and speed its coming. 
Now look, I, I read this verse, and I've, I've read this verse before, and I never caught this. And when I read the last part, it really kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. Um, and so I studied it in a lot of different versions, and I read a lot about it. And I almost didn't talk about it today, but I just came to the conclusion that, look, it's in the Bible, so we need to talk about it, okay? So I believe that the way that we live our lives, according to Scripture, can actually impact the timing of Christ's return. Like there are people that have never heard the gospel and if we get the gospel to them faster, Jesus can come back quicker. And some of you are probably sitting there and you're like, that's good. Now I can relax because I don't want him coming anytime soon, right? And what I would say to you is I understand. I have been there before, you know. I, I used to never want Jesus to come back until I got married, you know. And there's still a lot of things that I want to experience in life. I'd love to be a parent, a dad one day. And, you know, I'd love to experience a lot of different things in life. I'd like to travel and go to a lot of different places. But can I tell you something? That heaven is so much better than anything that this world could ever offer. Like, it's better than, than getting married in the future. It's better than your favorite team winning a, a championship. It's better than anything you could ever experience. Because can I tell you that when we get to heaven, Heaven, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow, no more grief, no more death, no more cancer, no more COVID-19. Come on. Heaven is going to be so much better than earth. It's better than anything that this earth can offer. And so we have a job to do and we have to do it. We have to get busy doing what God has given us to do. We, God has created a plan to reach the world and it involves you. It involves me. He's given us a job. And we have to do our job. And can I say that if we do our job, then the world will be ready. The world will be ready when Jesus comes, if we do our job. And it's so important. There's so, there really is some pressure on this. There's an urgency for us to make a difference in our world together. And so now that we know that God has a job for us to do, let's talk about how we need to live in these times, how we need to live in these times. And the first thing that we need to do is we have to remember to see the significance of every day. And your worship guide, this, is, this should be on the back. You can just fill in the blanks as we go. But we have to see, this is the first one, see the significance of every day. I think a lot of times we see significance in some days, like big days in our life, you know, important, what we think of as important days of our life. But we don't see significance in every day or every moment. But Paul lets us know in Ephesians 5 that there is significance in every moment of our life. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise. So don't live unwise. You know, in other words, don't, don't live a life that's all about you, that revolves around you, only about you and your happiness and you and your four and no more. Don't live a, don't live a life like that. But instead, live as wise and make the most of every opportunity. Can I tell you that you have opportunity every day, every moment. You may not realize it, but there is opportunity in front of you. And he says, make the most of these moments because the days are evil. And so from one perspective, like we need to realize that, there, that, that God has given us a purpose and that every moment matters. Like every dollar we spend, every conversation that we have, every place that we go, every action that we take has purpose. And you know, a lot of people, they, they look for, they say, I want to find God's vision for my life. I want to find my purpose. 
And that's good, and you should do that. Jeremiah lets us know that God has good plans for us. He has a hope and a future for us. We know that. But I think a lot of times what happens is when we're saying, what is God's vision for my life? We're thinking about the future. And when we only focus on what God has in the future, we miss out on what God has right now. Because God has something for your life right now. And you know, for us, a lot of times it's easy to see, it's easy to see the purpose and the vision that God has in the promotion or, or in the other job or in the other relationship. But, it, but, it's, but sometimes it can be hard to see God's purpose for our right now. And if we're so focused on the future, we'll miss out on what God has in our current circumstance. And can I tell you that whatever circumstance you're in right now, that God has purpose there? And you may not realize what that is, but I promise if you ask him that he'll show you. He'll show you what it is. You know, this reminds me um, of my wife that she, she, we met in Alabama. But before we met, she's a teacher. And before we met, um, she had applied to go to an internship in Memphis, Tennessee. She wanted to work with underprivileged children, inner city schools. And she really wanted to be a part of this program. And I just want to say, too, that she was a prime candidate because she graduated with a 4.0 GPA. Like, she had a good resume. She's really smart. She was a prime candidate. And she got rejected for this internship, and she was really bummed out about it. And there was this other thing, though. Like, God, she saw vision that God had given her for that in her future. But there was another thing that she had kind of looked over, and that was that God had had put in her heart a desire to make a difference in, in the lives of young people through a ministry through a ministry point of view. And actually, the way it worked out was the very next day after she got rejected, she and I met, and we started dating, and we ended up doing youth ministry together in Alabama and now here. And so I just say that because you might be passed over for a promotion. You might not be able to see the purpose in where you are right now. You might feel like you're in a slump, but like God has purpose, and God has vision for where you are in your life right now. You just have to ask him, and he'll show it to you. So the third thing that or the second thing that we need to see is that during these times, we are to share the unconditional love of Jesus with our world. Now, the key word here is unconditional because God's love is without conditions. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm sure you, if you're anything like me, you are too, because after you got saved, you didn't live a perfect spotless life, right? Maybe you messed up a little bit here and there. And thankfully, God's love is without condition. That he's such a good God and he loves us so much. And a lot of times it's easy for us to receive that love that comes from God. But it's hard for us to give it to other people. And that's because people are frustrating, right? People are annoying. They, they get on our nerves. They're hurtful. They let us down. But can I tell you that we have to be careful with people? Because maybe you've heard the phrase before that says hurting people hurt people. So you might be thinking of that person that you just really can't stand right now. Um, and I would say, like, if they continue to hurt people over and over, there's a really good chance that they're probably hurting themselves. So we got to be careful with people. There was a, there was a research done um, on people, specifically the millennial generation. And what was found is that 87% of unchurched millennials, they're not a part of a church for one reason. You might can guess what it is. And it's because they perceive Christians as judgmental. They feel guilted when they go to church. They perceive it that way. And can I just take a moment and say that as the church and as Christians, we have never been called to judge anybody. 
We have never been called to guilt anybody because putting guilt on somebody is not going to make them change their life and come to God. If anything, it's just going to push them away. We've never been called to do that. The only thing that we've been called to do is to show love to people. And if we're guilting people and we're judging people, they're never going to come through these doors. God has called us to go out into the world and to love people so we can get them through these doors. They can hear the gospel message and experience the love of God that will change their life. We've never been called to judge anyone, only to love them. And you say, "But but I don't like their lifestyle. I don't like their behaviors. That's okay. You don't have to like their behaviors. You don't have to like their lifestyle, but you do have to love them. And I promise you, if you love them and they get close to this God we serve and they experience his love, he'll change their behavior. He'll change their life and he, he will heal the hurts in their heart because there's so many people in this world, they're walking around with holes in their heart and with hurt and, with hurt and, and pain. And they try to fill these holes in their heart with all kinds of things, with money and with cars and, and a new job and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things. They try, but nothing ever satisfies because it's a God-shaped hole. And if Christians, the people that love God, are too busy condemning and judging the world, then they're never going to experience the only thing that can fill that void. So we have to show the love of God so that they can experience his love and, and that their life can be changed. Because I promise you, God's love will transform their life. It will transform their life. And the third thing that we have to do in these times is we have to supply the great commission. So the job that we've been given to do, taking the gospel to all nations, we, during these times, are to supply that. Now, the other things might can be done individually. But this one, we can really only do it together as a church. We can, we can take the gospel into the nations, into the world, into our nation, into our city and other nations, but we can only do it together. Luke, in Luke, Jesus says this here, chapter 10. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord, or maybe you can think of this as pray to God. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And this is one of the things in Scripture, there's not a lot of them, but this is one of the things in Scripture that Jesus tells us to pray about, to ask the Lord to send workers for the harvest. And can I just say that there has never been a harvest problem in our world. There's, there's always been and always will be people walking around with holes in their heart, with hurt, with pain, and, and they need to experience the love of God. The problem is that there's not enough leaders There's not enough workers to get the harvest. The Bible lets us know that the fields are white with harvest, but we need leaders. And Jesus says, pray that we would send leaders and that that leaders would come to work the harvest. And that's one of the things that I love so much about City Hope is here, our pastor, Pastor Ben, he has an amazing vision that God has given him. And right here at City Hope, we believe that God is gonna help us to start a a world-class leadership academy so that we can pour into people, so that we can sow into people the, and, and instill in them the great commission and give them the tools that they need so that they can go out and be leaders in the harvest fields and that they can share the gospel to all the nations. And it's a wonderful thing that that can happen right here, but we can only do it together. And, and there's other things that we're doing about it, and there's so much vision around here, and, and we, we as a church support ministries in Africa, and we support ministries in Pakistan and Cuba and in other places because we're so passionate about the gospel going into the nations. 
And can I just tell you that as a church, that your generosity, every dollar that you give, you are a part of that. You're a part of getting the gospel to every nation in the world. And we have to do that so that Jesus can return. We want to get the gospel to the places where people have never heard of the name Jesus. And actually, right now as a church, we're strategizing on how, how can we make a difference in the 1040 window, which is an area of the world where the majority of people have never heard the name Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. And we want to get the gospel to them so, one, they can experience the love of God, but also so that every nation can hear about it and Jesus can return, but we can only do it together. We have to make a difference together. And, and we believe in this generation. We, be, we believe in the church and that it can make a difference. I want to share a quote with you here. And it says this. It says, look at how the glory has gone. Some of you can remember 50 years ago when churches were in their glory. What a change there has been. In those days, people were converted and willingly declared what God had done for their souls. But conversions have become rare in this day. The glory has gone. The special mark of God's providence in this country seems to be over. We weep to think about it. And now this seems like, this was, this was said like by a pastor and it sounds, from the sounds of it, it could be uh, a modern day pastor, right? Because it sounds pretty familiar to our society that we're living in. But this was actually from a pastor back in 1702 that, was set, that made this quote here, back, all the way back in 1702. So it seemed that they were facing very similar things as us in their world and in their society. And what happened is in Scotland, there was a great prayer movement and churches began to pray they began to believe that for the impossible. They began to believe that God would show up and that he would move again. And this prayer movement spread from Scotland all the way to America. And during this time, America was still just in colonies. And, and, and so churches in all these different colonies in America, they began to pray. They began to get on their knees and believe that God was not done yet that God had another move, that he wanted to do something else. They began to pray and it began to spread. And, and preachers, some like Thomas Freeling and other preachers, they began to preach. And through this movement, the first great awakening was born. Millions were saved and came to know God. And from this moment, if you fast forward 100 years later, America was in decline again. The chief justice at the time, his name was John Marshall. He said that, that the church in America was too far gone to ever be redeemed. Voltaire said that in 30 years' time, that Christianity would be completely forgotten about. Just be an afterthought. They did a, they did a poll on Harvard, Harvard campus, and there was not one Christian that was on campus, a part of that campus. And they were burning Bibles on campus. But can I tell you that the church refused to give up and they began to get on their knees and they began to pray. They were in unprecedented times, but they refused to give up and they believed that God wasn't finished yet. And there was a great outpouring of the spirit of God in Kentucky. And it's always contagious. It began to spread again and it spread to the West and it made its way over to Hampton Sydney College. And they began to pray. And there at that college campus, the second great awakening was born. 
Souls were saved. People came to the kingdom of God. And, and many preachers came out of this movement. Some, some You may have heard of Charles Finney, him, and, and many other preachers. They went forth in the power of God. And they took the gospel to every nation, to the ends of the world. They took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And from that moment, if you fast forward 100 years later, you could probably guess what I'm going to say is that America was in decline once more again. And during this time, what, what is seen is that people value money and they value possessions more than they do God. There was almost no hope Christianity was written off. It was an afterthought. But can I tell you, there were six guys in New York City and they said, we're going to do something about this. And they started praying. And they started having these prayer gatherings on Fulton Street. And their prayer gatherings grew from, from six to 10, 100, 1,000, some days up to 10,000 people packing out Fulton Street, praying, believing that God was not finished yet. You can, you can go online and you can see images of this and it's awesome to see this street packed out with people praying and believing for God to move. And, and they believe that God wasn't finished and that, as always, prayer is contagious. So it began to spread again and people began to have these services in fields and they would pack out fields and, and, and people were coming to hear the gospel and people that once had put their hope and put their trust in, in, in money and in possessions and things of the world, they began to turn from that and they turned to God and God did something new. He did something fresh and he poured his spirit out. And now here we are now, a hundred years later and America is in decline again. And I don't have to go through everything that our world is facing because we all know about it. But America is in decline again. But can I tell y'all something? There's this church in Wichita Falls, Texas called City Hope Church and they refuse to give up. And there's other churches just like us all across our nation and we refuse to give up. We fast and we pray for 21 days because we believe that Christianity is not done, that God's not finished yet, that he's gonna move again. We believe that the gospel is gonna go forth and so we pray and we hope and we believe for God to do the impossible. We believe that God's not finished yet and that we are gonna see him pour out his spirit that souls are gonna be saved. They're gonna come to the kingdom and, and, and that the gospel's gonna go to the nations. And can I say, we don't just do it so that we can see an awakening. We do it because we're passionate about seeing people come to Jesus. And we're passionate about the gospel going to every nation so that Jesus can come back. And so this leads me to my, my last thing. And it's time for us to choose. And this is in your worship, God. You can fill in the blanks. On one hand, we can simply survive our generation and just barely hang on till Jesus comes back. We can have that mindset or we can steward our generation. We can do the job that God has given us, complete the work that he's given us and make a difference in our world. And it's up to you. You can choose which of these that you wanna do. Those generations I, were just, I was just talking about before that refused to give up and they prayed. They stewarded their generation. They took that moment seriously and they made a difference. If you would bow your heads with me. God, I thank you, Lord, that even though we're in unprecedented times that you're not finished yet. God, and as your church, we refuse to grow silent. We refuse to give up, Jesus. We believe you're not finished yet and we know that you're gonna strengthen us to take the gospel to every nation, Lord, to make a difference in our world. 
so that we can see people experience your love. God, I pray that you would touch every heart that's here right now. Lord, that you would speak to them. God, that you'd show them what you want them to do. Right now, I wanna ask you a question. Pastor Ben asks this almost every week. I just wanna ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe you're here today and you realize, you know, I've been living a life that's pretty selfish. It's been all about me. And I think God's nudging me to, God's nudging me to to live a life that's outward focused, make a difference in the world so that I can be a part of this movement that's taking place before Jesus returns. Maybe that's where you're at today. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even have a relationship with him. And, I, and I'm feeling the Holy Spirit pulling my heart. And I wanna give my life to this Jesus. I got that void you were talking about. And I've tried other things and it never satisfied. And so I, I think I wanna give Jesus a chance. If that's you, what I wanna ask you to do, and you say, I wanna, I wanna give Jesus a chance. If that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand. I promise you, I won't ask you to come to the front or stand up. I wouldn't embarrass you for the world. But on the count of three, if you'd say, I wanna give my life to Jesus, slip that hand up. One, two, three. If you wanna give your life to Jesus, maybe you're online with us today. You wanna pray that prayer with us. Anyone else? Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I come before you and I give you my life. I'm tired of turning to other things. And today, I turn to you. I give my life to you. And from this day forward, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And help me to live my life in such a way that makes a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody. Y'all give God praise in this place. God's not finished yet. God's still moving. He's not done yet.